Coming up on Tech News Today, T-Mobile adds free voice calls to Facebook and then calls it bobsled. We'll explain all this. Also, does Wi-Fi violate the wiretap law? This is an interesting question. And Samsung fights back against Apple. We'll tell you how next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Tuesday, April 19th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by Gazelle, the easy way to sell or recycle the used gadgets lying around your home or office. Don't just sell it, gazelle it. For a 5% bonus payment for your used gadgets, go to gazelle.com. Use the bonus code TWIT. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Maya Zaktar. I'm Becky Worley. And I'm Jason Howell. And this is the show where we kick around the tech news of the day and try to make some sense out of it. Can we make sense out of today's tech news, do you think? We can try. Dollars and cents. It we is a big earnings day, but we'll get to that. We through the feeds, and today there were mountains of stories... Not any huge stories, but lots of interesting stories. So many that we had to cut. So many things. Uh, so yeah, we have we have we have had to cut some some interesting stuff, but we got tons of of, of valuable stuff. T-Mobile powering Facebook, VoIP, Samsung threatening Apple back over a patent lawsuit, and Google finally bringing a uh, a, a service to the United States called Google Map Maker. That allows you to contribute to the accuracy of maps. We are the 184th country <laughs> uh, to get Google Map Maker. Yeah, in, in, in the little demonstration video, Google shows off what you can do, and they showed an example of like your lo local neighborhood, if there's parking lots and areas, if there are bike trails. I mean, it's a nice little thing that sometimes you use Google Maps, and you're like, that's a terrible direction. Maybe I can change that. Yeah. This is not meant for cars. I know it sent me to weird uh, only dirt paths before. This is kind of a nice thing that you can actually change it. I mean, I also like it for college campuses. You can really get some uh, detail in there. Now, I love the idea of crowdsourcing this stuff so that people can contribute and make it more accurate. The idea that you make uh, an edit and it could appear in minutes frightens me because, you know, I could just What's like, the vetting process take out there? Some, I mean some roads and stuff. Well, Google yeah, or put it one way, the wrong way, or, you know, really confuse people. But I think that in the end, anyone who's going to take the time to do this is probably going to do things mostly right, unless there's a, you know, you've you, you got to <laughs> It takes a couple of bad apples, though. Well, Google is I claiming know. they're going to review these things for accuracy before they put the edits live. So that's, but that's where if they can do that in minutes, how are they, how are they reviewing that? What are they looking at satellite images? What are they doing there? I mean... That, that does have some, some vetting issues, but I think the overall concept is really good because for one thing, I remember I went on a ride along with um, the people who be, you know, originally did all of the GPS mapping uh, before Google got into the business and they were constantly just driving all the new roads of brand new subdivisions. Anytime there was construction that screwed things up, it would screw up all the mapping. Um, so, I mean, there's so much stuff happening that you really need this to be crowdsourced if it's going to be detailed enough to really be super valuable. And Google's not the first to do this. Waze has existed for a while, and the OpenStreetMap project has existed for a while. So in some, some people are criticizing Google, saying, look, you're, you're now degrading the ability of people to participate in these. We really don't need another OpenMap project. Why don't you just team up with Waze or OpenStreetMap? 
a lot of people rely on Google Maps, and I never never heard those uh, of those right, other but, ones. But they could take the data from those and incorporate it into Google Maps. Yeah, but crowdsourcing, they're claiming that we know our neighborhoods best. I mean, I, I'm sure people will gravitate towards Google because their work's going to be seen a lot. No, but more. I, I think you're missing the point of what I'm saying. OpenStreetMap could be like everybody contribute your stuff to OpenStreetMap. Google gets behind it, throws their juice, and says, "Hey, you want to help improve our maps?" Join OpenStreetMap, and then all the OpenStreetMap data feeds into Google Maps, so you get the best but, of both worlds. Just but, Tom, you don't have an OpenStreetMap or a Waze app on your phone No, right but I now. have a Google Maps is, app, and so right, if OpenStreetMap was if, – if Google was using OpenStreetMap because it's open source and they could, then it would boost that project. You know what I really like? I haven't been on the show for a while, and what I really like is I can tell that IAS – gets you fired up. He just has to say a couple words and you're all on it. You're not afraid to throw right. it down with him. I just really like that. I just say kudos, I ask. Thank you. And, and as an aside, by the way, since we're the 184th of country to get this, maybe that was why it took so long, the whole vetting process. We have to figure out mm. how does it work at all. Like, like the first one didn't work so well, 183. We got it. Let's open it in the United States. <laughs> finally. We finally well, got like, it right. I, Pitcairn Islands got it before us. Did you see all the lists of countries? Yeah, but do you know there? do you know the complexity of trails on the Pitcairn Islands? Well, apparently. I'll look I it up on Google, I bet. I, yeah, I, I don't either. <laughs> Uh, we mentioned yesterday that Apple is suing Samsung uh, for look and feel uh, patent infringement. Samsung is now threatening Apple in response, uh, saying, quote, Samsung will respond actively to this legal action taken against us through appropriate legal measures to protect our intellectual property. Of course, they also note that Apple buys billions of dollars of parts from Samsung. So they're a little miffed that they didn't work this out. And we've mentioned this before. The way the patent wars are supposed to work, you have a stack of patents. The other company has a stack of patents. And you see whose stack is bigger and you agree to a little payment. Apple's not playing by these rules going after Samsung in court. So Samsung's saying Apple may have violated Samsung's patents. And they're, they're gonna, now we've got mutually assured destruction. Yeah, Samsung has the textbook response of we will respond actively. I mean, that's the kind of language you're going to use for this kind of thing. Uh, on top of that, I mean, I think a lot of people think that lawsuits just happen like snap of the fingers. I mean, they probably did have some communications with Samsung that probably broke down. They probably tried to do all this kind of mediation stuff until a lawsuit. Because a lawsuit's actually supposed to be the last resort. I know a lot of people don't believe that, but it is. This well, is especially you when your relationship is as complicated and as deep as the relationship between these two companies, they have to have been in a ton of discussion. Um, but, you know, Apple has been feverish about its defense of its look, feel, of its sort of the, the whole aspect of the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod Touch, um, they really try and lock this down. And the language they're using is really aggressive. So you know that that communication has to have broken down. There was one quote, um, I don't know if you guys read this yesterday, but said, this kind of blatant copying is wrong and we need to protect Apple's intellectual property when companies steal our ideas, is what someone from Apple told the Wall Street Journal. That's right. So, and that's why I think Samsung should absolutely sue, sue Apple for stealing the look and feel of the Samsung <laughs> F700 released in February 2007. Yeah, that's uh, about the same shape. It's got the same kind of layout, too. And and has a dock, although theirs is across the top on the F700, not down along the bottom. Well, no, there is a dock down along the bottom. You mean they this chose the side of the phone for the dock? <laughs> so wait, wait. So this is this is these are the pictures of the original iPhone, which came out. Well, the original. Which the, is the original iPhone, iPhone was released in June 2007. The Samsung F700 was released in February 2007, uh, and essentially the F700 has exactly the same interface, but it's not in color and it's not as pretty. 
But and a lot of the elements that Apple is accusing them of stealing were on that same exact model. Right, the rounded corners, the rectangular shape, the metal bezel. So this is, this is it's going to get... It's going to get ticky-tack. Yeah, if you take a look at Neelai Patel's analysis, I mean, he went through the, the court filing, which was made public, I think, either yesterday or, t or today, and there's a great side-by-side -side exactly what Apple's upset about. If you look at the icons uh, for Samsung, they have the similar green gradient and white phone. If you take a look at their contacts, very similar icons. This is something that Samsung could have actually they could have copied or they could have come up with their own unique version of these icons because I mean there's there's probably a million ways you can show a phone there's a million ways you can show a lot of these things but when you look at Samsung's implementation it is really similar and on top of that what Apple is arguing is that this is all about the entirety of the package it's not just mm -hmm. one icon okay it's just one thing right. oh, it's just around the corners but when you tie all that stuff together just looking at them side by side you, there's a Bit of confusion that can happen there, and the other thing about except for the big Samsung that's written across the that's top. Oh, oh, and I see another difference in the Samsung. There's two rows of text on that second line. On the iPhone, there's and only one row of text. With intellectual property, see? you need to really, really fight tooth and nail every time something happens. That's that's the problem that you always yeah. have to do this. That's why it always seems like it's ridiculous, because if you don't enforce your own rights, then you lose them. Exactly, and you don't want to. Do You're that. in danger of losing. Well, yeah, right. patents right. work a little different. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. One uh, sidebar out of this that came out, though, guys, was the um, information about how many iPhones and how many iPads had been sold. And, you know, we've been hearing so much about iPad sales being successful. It was sort of interesting. Uh, based on the claims in this suit, total iPads sold in Q1, 4.2 million, which a lot of the estimates were more like 7 million. And that seems a little bit like a scarcity issue, no? If if you're reading the uh, the filing numbers correctly, because uh, uh, this company Asimco did did a little digging in and compared it to things that they did know and came up with these numbers, then yeah, it does seem a little different than what analyst estimates have been. But Apple did have to file some hard numbers, so these can't be lies. That's always well, the they, nice thing. Well, they they were a little bit um, uh, loose though, because what exactly was it? totally all of the Q1 numbers, it was like up to, or was it including March? It kind of didn't make a lot right, of sense. Right, right. There's a little bit of guesswork in how Asimco came up with their numbers, but the, the numbers they're working with as source numbers are correct. It's just whether they're interpreting them correctly or not is the question. T-Mobile unveiling uh, something called Bobsled today. This is a, a suite of applications they plan to bring... No, wait, stop. Yes. Bob's. I'm just going to stop you right there. Yes. It's called bobsled. Bobsled mm -hmm. are applications. So all of you are, no, but wait, stop. Before you tell people what they do. Yeah. What do, I'm just asking the viewer, to the listener to think. What would an application named bobsled do? From T-Mobile. Like, why would you name it bobsled from T-Mobile? Because it eases the passage of voice calls through a torturous series of tubes that is the internet. <laughs> I, I would think that you'd be doing that was good, Tom. <laughs> okay, so it's voice calling through Facebook. Yeah. Why it's called bobsled, we don't know, but I just suddenly dawned on me. Who I don't know if you've noticed this, things? but a lot of times your calls go through faster in, uh, in colder conditions. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so bobsled is aimed at bridging traditional telecom and, and internet-based voice and data service. Plans to expand the service in the near future to include video chat, the ability to place VoIP calls to mobile and landline phones and offer applications on both smartphones and tablets. Today, though, all we're getting is the ability to call someone from our computer using Facebook. 
That's right. If in the Facebook chat section, you can after you install an application on your computer, that allows you. To, I guess it ties into Facebook as well. You can finally do a voice call or send a voice recording over. I think it's limited to 45 seconds, and it, it'll appear on the person's wall unless you make it a private message. Uh, we tested it out earlier. The, the audio quality was wasn't half bad. It wasn't like spectacular or anything, but it wasn't bad. No, what do you guys think? Is there a need for this? Is this something that'll catch on? You know what I like about, uh, particularly the, uh, the idea of using Facebook, although I wish it wasn't Facebook that I had to use for that. I'll say that up front. But I like <laughs> the idea of being able to just click on somebody's name and not have to know what their phone number is or whether I've changed their phone number in my address book or whether I'm picking the right phone number. Is it, uh, should I call their mobile number this time or their home number? I just press IAS and it calls IAS and wherever he is, he gets the call. Now, you can, I know people are going to say, wow, you can do that with Google Voice and you can do that with this and that. But what this promises is the idea of saying, look, you won't have to set anything up. As long as, zero as, long as everybody's so using right. Facebook, which so, so many people are, you click the name and with bobsled, eventually, it doesn't matter whether they have their mobile uh, device or their computer at home, they will get your call. Yeah, since I don't think they have it for mobile yet. Do not they? yet, but, no. They, they intend to bring it out, but it's not there yet. Since yeah. so many people use Facebook like this, I mean, they use it for chat already. It, it, the, the little press release is like, well, sometimes people just want to hit call. And it actually seems like a smart integration. You're going to be able to call up people. You don't have to give out your phone number. All, right, all you have to do is be friends with somebody, and if they, if they want to chat with you, you can do that. I kind of like that idea versus something like Google Voice. I've used that. It's got a set of forwarding uh, systems. You don't need to have any weird delays or anything. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a nice way to have a little buffer, actually, for your friends. Like, just, just call me on Facebook. I, I actually think the voicemail is really powerful, too, because if you're just sending a voicemail message to someone to their private inbox, there are just some things that you want to do that are too complicated to type out. And so I could actually see this being a really functional tool, and it was crazy simple to use. So I, I actually agree with you guys. I think this Although is Becky and the I power said, of Facebook leverage. Becky and I sent voicemails to each other, and neither one of us got them. We're not sure why. We're going to give that to first day glitches and check back with that. I, I as and I said voicemails to each other and they worked fine. Yeah, everything worked. So I don't know, yeah, I don't know. It may, it's just a Becky and me problem. Now, now one other <laughs> thing to note about the voicemail thing, because obviously Tom and I have serious communication issues. We're in group therapy, couples therapy. What do you mean but, by uh, that? <laughs> but the one thing that was interesting is when you send a voicemail message, you can either send it as a private message or if you just hit the default share button, it posts to the person's page, so that message I has sent to you, Tom, yeah. I could listen to publicly. It's I on could my wall. totally see this going into um, causing some major issues for which, people who accidentally share publicly things they meant to record privately. Which is why I prefaced everything I said about it, saying I'm not sure I necessarily am glad that Facebook is the vehicle for this. Mm -hmm. uh, but on a side note, Facebook rolled out two new security features today. Uh, first of all, two-factor authentication. Uh, gives users the option to have to enter a code when they log in. Uh, unlike Google, though, it's not on all the time. Facebook's is on only when you log in from a new device. Uh, Facebook also offering expanded secure browsing. Remember that problem where once you, once you accepted uh, an application that wasn't secure, it turned off your secure browsing and you had to go manually put it back on? They fixed that. Now, whenever you use a Facebook app that doesn't support HTTPS, the site will automatically switch you back to secure browsing when your session's done. It's always good for Facebook to actually add in the security features or to fix problems they apparently did not think would happen. Let's, uh, Have you guys noticed that the Facebook privacy 
you know, debacle has really just completely crested and gone downhill. It just feels like that they can do a change like this and it's not that we're just sort of sidebarring it tells you, okay, the, the open wound has somehow closed and people are definitely not as freaked out as they used to be. That's because Apple's suing everybody. That's why. <laughs> Nobody cares about Facebook now. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a quick break and uh, thank our sponsor, Gazelle. If you want money, you want money, right? Sure. And you have a bunch of used gadgets and you want to get new gadgets, all these three things go beautifully together. Take the old gadgets and then go on to Gazelle, look them up, find out how much money you'll get. They, they have a ton of offers on there, 20 product categories, over 200,000 unique items that they're paying for. Even if they're not paying, you can still send it to them to be recycled and they recycle responsibly. But then you, you, you sell the gadget. And, and it's not like you have to wait around for somebody to buy it. You put it in a box. They'll even send you a box. You send it to Gazelle, and they send you money. You get the money right away. Uh, and then you spend the money on the new gadgets or whatever it is you need to spend it. Maybe you should save it, but you're probably going to spend it on new gadgets if you're anything like me. Smartphones, MP3 players, ebook readers, laptops, cameras, uh, they give you cash for your used gadgets via PayPal, via Amazon gift card, uh, via check. And in fact, just between you and me, uh, if you want a little bonus, you want like 5% more cash than everybody else gets, use the code TWIT. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Except, <laughs> except tell people. Yeah, tell just like the guy on Sesame Street when you do that. <laughs> really? That's gazelle.com. Uh, put put your, your gadgets in there. Find out how much you're going to get for them. And then put in the code TWIT. You get a 5% bonus. Don't just sell it, as they say. Really? And they being Gazelle, Gazelle it. They also can give to charity if you want to. You can, actually. Um, I'm too selfish to do that, but you can, you can, you can donate uh, to a ton of different charities. In fact, some people set up Gazelle pages specifically to benefit charities. It's pretty awesome. They do a lot That's of good things. Idea. Love Gazelle. All right. I think Molly did that with one of the um, with the Japan Red Cross relief. So I've got to still remember to do that. She so. did that with her iPad, I think. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's I'm gonna, I gotta get on there. NASA ponying up $270 million for commercial space flight. Uh, this is the new plan under the present administration to privatize space flight. So we've talked about the, uh, the privatized flights into space. This is commercial crew development. This is the astronaut part of it. Uh, Blue Origin, started by Amazon's Jeff Bezos, received $22 million. Elon Musk's SpaceX, they're kind of the ones you hear about in the press the most often, got $75 million. Boeing received $92.3 million. And Sierra Nevada, although Great not beer. the beer company, the <laughs> space company, uh, got $80 million. NASA hopes that these commercial providers will have their spacecraft ready for flight in 2015. We'll pretty much be relying on the Russians to get our astronauts into space until then. I was hoping for the beer company to get the money. But then again, if, I mean, NASA's not doing any more manned space flights. And it's in their interest to help these private companies figure out a way to do this the right way. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a smart way. Technically, they're not using the money for themselves, but they're still letting their, their goals and ideals get pushed forward by these private companies. It's a great way to pay for the space flight to have Sierra Nevada sponsor it. Just a giant. Have Sierra Nevada Brewing sponsor Sierra Nevada Systems. Go. You know what's funny? When I first started reading this story and I saw that Jeff Bezos was involved in Amazon, I thought, oh, that's a really, you know, that's, this is a passion of his and he's being altruistic and getting involved. And yeah, he'll get some money back, but no doubt he's putting more into it. And then I saw Elon Musk was involved. And I'm like, oh, there's money in this. Oh, that guy's in it for the money. He is, 
He's one of my favorite tech guys to follow. He's just a soap opera waiting to happen. Yeah. So I'm going to watch this carefully. SpaceX this is definitely leading the way in the fight for press attention. Uh, and they've, and they've, they've, achieved, they've achieved stuff, too. So it's not, it's not all fluff. U.S. District Judge James Ware in San Jose is presiding over the Google Wi-Fi lawsuit. Uh, a dozen lawsuits have been combined seeking damages from Google for eavesdropping on open Wi-Fi networks via the Street View mapping cars. The question is whether Google breached the Wiretap Act. Judge Ware wants to know if Wi-Fi counts as radio communications. And according to the Wiretap Act, it's not considered felony wiretapping to intercept or access electronic communications, uh, to, to make it short, made via radio that is readily accessible to the general public. Right, and the FCC already did an investigation on this. They didn't penalize Google at anything. They just said, okay, you have a warning. You, know, you said that you didn't know you were sniffing Wi-Fi, so just don't do it anymore and we're all fine. So they didn't, they didn't bother to, to actually hit them up with any, any criminal, uh, criminal charges. But this is a private case. And this is all depending on one definition, radio communication. So both attorneys or both sets of attorneys have to come up with their best guess. And that might be, I don't know how determinative that's going to be. It might just be, well, like 80% important to this well, case. Yeah, and obviously Google thinks this is radio communications mm -hmm. and that they shouldn't be responsible or they shouldn't be found to violate the Wiretap Act. The plaintiffs think that, no, this is just short term across the living room. This doesn't count as a broadcast. Becky, what do you think? Well, I think this is all going to hinge on a really um, kind of fascinating interpretation of a, an analog standard being applied to a digital format. And so, the, you know, the issue is everybody has radios. So if you're broadcasting AM or FM, it's a public signal. Anybody can just pull it down. No problem. But, you know, nobody can pick up your Wi-Fi signals. That's not something that you would think people could do. But then what they're looking at is the accessibility of programs, uh, Wireshark and uh, What's the other one? Firebug. You know, these are easily downloadable software programs. I had a guy downloading this for me for, for yeah, for, for uh, ABC. He's just sitting in my living room downloading these programs, and then we go through the neighborhood, and it's like, yeah, you, you could pick it up if you wanted to. It's easy to get this stuff. So basically, software is the radio. How do they apply this standard? Um, I think it's going to be a, a very touchy, subjective call. It really shouldn't be, but it's because of the immaturity of the market. Uh, essentially, if, if the market was mature and everybody had been using Wi-Fi access points for decades, we'd all know that a Wi-Fi access point is going to broadcast out beyond our perimeter, just like a cordless phone, and we would lock it up appropriately, just like a cordless phone takes precautions to prevent eavesdropping. And so if you eavesdrop on a cordless phone, you're definitely violating the Wiretap Act. And neither, neither side of this disputes that. But with Wi-Fi, we've had this ability to share it. It's been part of the culture when Wi-Fi first started to leave your access point open and say, hey, uh, you know what? I'm going to share my bandwidth with people. I'm going to be a good citizen. And there were, there, were, there were efforts that in San Francisco, I remember, in the early part of the decade to create a map of open Wi-Fi spots that people were providing to create this sort of anarchic network of open Wi-Fi spots. And when you consider that, it's not clear that this, is, that this is not radio communications. In fact, it absolutely is. But at the same time, people weren't aware of that. And so because it's not mature, it becomes 
Well, do you consider what people knew or what they should have known in determining this? Because what they should have known is I can lock up my Wi-Fi access point and keep Google from spying on me. Uh, and, and, and so it's, it's their ignorance. And, and to me, Google shouldn't be uh, found in violation of the Wiretap Act just because people didn't know how to lock up their Wi-Fi access points. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that analogy about radio. It's like, you can have a device that determines there is a signal, but God forbid you listen to the music, you know? So it's sort of, um, I, just, I just think that, you know, Google is, was so smart in doing the mea culpa right off the, uh, out of the gates because I think that they are really in a much better position now as we're working through the litigious process to say, hey, we didn't know, we didn't realize as soon as we found out, we shut it down. Um, and I think that they can then hope for some, um, some leniency basically as the law is sorted out. So I agree with you, Tom. I think you're right. On to the European Union, which, depending on who you read, is doing something totally different on net neutrality. The headline from paid content, EU decides against stricter net neutrality rules. Nope, they're against net neutrality in Europe, apparently. Sounds terrible. The BBC headline, European Union to investigate net neutrality concerns. Oh. That is not so bad. Oh, they're worried about net... Wait, it's the same damn story. Based on the same report. Yes, exactly the same report. Uh, the European Union has decided not to pursue legislation preserving net neutrality, but Commissioner Neely Kreese, head of EU's Digital Agenda Department, said she will continue to monitor the sector for instances of blocking or throttling. In fact, they've asked the body of European regulators for electronic communications to investigate the extent of any net neutrality violations that have happened in the past or happen after today. Uh, and if by the end of the year they find that there are persistent problems, then they will take additional action. And, and Ms. Kreese uh, says she believes there is if enough competition to prevent most abuses, but that will not prevent her from proposing laws uh, prohibiting blocking services if she feels the, that there is a need for that. Yeah, she also specifically stated that she felt that media pressure and media awareness would lead consumers to pressure their uh, internet providers to not block traffic and not throttle traffic and also make informed decisions, which I think is a somewhat naive when you look at the complexity of the issue and how much of this stuff is hidden, but it really shows how important it is that the media has shown a, a light on it. Um, and as a complete sidebar, Ayaz, um, you can, and I should just lean back for a second and let Tom rip, because I know he has strong feelings on this. Tom, I think, I think this is a, uh, a pretty measured and, and wise response. <laughs> Wow, that was that was an epic rant right there. What? Yeah, where but, is where is Tom Merritt, net neutrality champion? Where are you? Well, nothing's been actually done yet. That's the big thing here. It's not like New Zealand where they're like, we're going to push some laws right away. We don't really care what they do, but we're just going to push them through. Oh yeah, like the three strikes. Right. Laws, this right. is the EU saying like, we're going to sit back, we're going to wait a little, we're going to investigate. I think they're doing nothing. You think they're investigating? Uh, I, I've, I got a quote here from a EU digital agenda spokesman, Jonathan Todd, saying, "If an online service provider is confronted confronted with extra charges for their content, they'll just tell the ISP to take a hike." Which is an interesting idea. I mean, it's, they're assuming. I, well, I absolutely believe. I, I've said this a million times before. I absolutely believe that there should be net neutrality, that a good ISP does not block providers, that, you know, bits are bits and they should be provided to you, and that the whole debate is caused by a conflict of interest. But I, I also believe that the correct solution is competition. And I'm not sure that I agree with Ms. Kreese that there is enough competition. 
but if, if, if that's where the debate is centering, I think that's the right place to have the debate. The question is, how do we increase competition amongst ISPs so that when one ISP does start to do something stupid, we have another ISP to choose from? Yeah, that's uh, going to require a lot of infrastructure. Yeah. A lot of, that's going to require rules. You have to share your pipes kind of thing yep. uh, so that you can actually go, you know what, I don't like company X. I'm going to go to company Y. And it might have been a little bit more helpful if they just placed a, a ceiling point of so long as we don't see this level um, of prioritization occurring, then we won't get involved. Yeah. I think that might have been a more powerful statement just to sort of lay the high watermark. It's, it's like obscenity. You know it when you see it. <laughs> Uh, finally, Apple cleaning up App Store rankings. We mentioned this in the news views yesterday that it appears they're de-emphasizing downloads in the in the rankings on the App Store uh, so that it's harder to game the system by tweaking your downloads. But apparently, according to the unofficial Apple web blog, they're also rejecting some applications uh, and enforcing Section 3.1 of the developer guidelines if applications are using... Uh, this sort of will give you extra in-game stuff if you download one of our other applications. Uh, Section 3.1 bars apps that attempt to manipulate or cheat user reviews or chart rankings in the App Store. Up till now, it's been legal for, uh, no app has gotten rejected anyway, for this idea of like, hey, get 10 free mojo if you download our other application. But now Tapjoy has said they've seen some of their apps rejected because of a violation of Section 3.10. Well, it'll be, I mean, we, we covered this yesterday, that the rankings are changing. Uh, Apple's, Apple's App Store policies have been, what's the word, uh, dynamic, I guess. They keep changing every couple of minutes. Flexible. Flexible, yeah, flexible. If Capricious. You, uh, arbitrary. There's all kinds of fun <laughs> words for this. Uh, it's just, they're saying that they're attempting to manipulate or cheat the user reviews or chart rankings. Adaptable. Well, if they change the chart ranking systems, then this isn't going, going to do that, right? Because they're changing the whole download being the number one uh, factor in waiting. Well, it depends on how they're changing it. I think they're taking a two-prong approach, basically saying if we catch you outright doing this, we're, we're going we're gonna to stop accepting those apps. And we're also going to tweak the, uh, the rankings so that they, have, they are more accurate and, and reflect others. So should the conspiracy theorists be like, well, then you can't have your own ads. You should be using iAds and buying into all that. should be using iAs. Yes, the yes. other alternative ad system that they have. <laughs> Two things. Um, one, I just noticed in the chat room iAs that you're putting all the links in as the stories are going. That's so cool. I, I See, I've been away from the show. That is very cool. Like that. That's Secondly, what we pay him for. Yeah, that's um, what it is. Right. Nice work. Um, <laughs> Thank you. He won't do any back. more than that. That's <laughs> no. all he'll do. So That's, that's a big day for you, IS. Nice work. Um, but I was also just thinking, I totally use the number of downloads to determine whether or not I'm going to get something. What do you guys use to determine if something's popular? Well, do you mean you use the total number of downloads? Do you mean you use the ranking? Yeah, well, and I look at that, like if it's had, you know, yeah. specifically how, if it's got gajillions of downloads, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I look at the rankings to get ideas, and then I look at the ratings, the star ratings, to, mm. to make a decision. Yeah, actually, I read the reviews, and usually I look for the most critical one to see, like the one star yeah, thing. Yeah, right. And, and if it's like completely off the wall, like, this is the sucks or, well, that's not really useful. Uh, that's what I usually look at myself. Yep. I like this is the suck source. If it says that, <laughs> I totally download it. It must be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the news fuse. A video is making the rounds today of a white iPhone supposedly running the next version of iOS. Now, the best bets are that this is a prototype iPhone running an internal build of pre-release iOS 4. Still, it shows some intriguing features like icons showing the active screen of the program and search available from any screen. 
you know, fish got to swim, birds got to fly, and blogs got to spread rumors about iPhones. It's, it's just nature. <laughs> It was fun to watch, though. I recommend going to see it if you're kind of curious. Yeah, even if it's not the next version, it's kind of cool. It's kind of nice looking. I like the expose feature. Microsoft is asking the Supreme Court of the United States to re-examine how patent law works. Microsoft is currently in a battle with eye for eye over patents related to XML and Microsoft Word. In an oral argument, Microsoft argued that the burden of proof for a defendant in patent cases is too high. Well, obviously, the Supreme Court can't go in and just change laws, but should the court mention Microsoft's argument in its final opinion, it could set the stage for, like, larger patent changes later on in the legislature. Mm. Mm. Now, you may think you know all about iOS versus Android market share wars, all but... Mm -mm. So listen to this. If you combine all the iOS devices and compare their market share to all of the Android devices out there, phones, tablets, everything you will find that Apple's iOS has 59% more users than Android. And this is all coming from Comscore. Uh, in more objective numbers, Android has 23.8 million users and iOS has 37.9 million. Comscore also found that iPad users aren't loyal to Apple when it comes to phones. It's just all about the iPad people. Samsung has decided to sell off its hard disk division to Seagate. Samsung will still work on solid-state drives, but forget drives with spinning platters. Seagate will pay Samsung $1.375 billion in stock and cash. The deal makes Samsung a 9.6% owner in Seagate and will be able to nominate one member to Seagate's board of directors. I hope they have a, a reality show for that. And maybe they'll be the one designated to be angry at Apple. Acer's new president has been named, and it's... Jim Wong. Congratulations, Aww. Jim Wong. That was going to be me. Wow. Wong was already a part of, the, of Acer and its IT division. As president, Wong has already created a new division called the Touch Business Group, of which he has named himself the leader. The division will work on smartphones and tablets. We've mentioned Sprint's disputes with Clearwire in the past. Clearwire is the company that provides Sprint with its WiMAX network. Well, now the two companies have worked things out. Wedding bells. Yeah, uh, nice. There are reports, however, from the Wall Street Journal that Sprint may be working on a deal for fast wireless access with Light Squared. This deal would give Sprint an LTE presence just like Verizon and AT&T. And more uh, feeding more rumors that Sprint might flip from WiMAX to LTE. Eventually. Mm. And Clearwire could, too. Apparently, the way Android implements DHCP has caused Princeton University to kick malfunctioning Android devices from its network. There are several odd behaviors like Android using IP addresses after the DHCP lease expires. This interferes with service for others on the network, and Princeton says it has seen the problem in several versions of Android, including Honeycomb, has filed a bug with the Android project back in September 2010. There's no fix yet. Princeton has a detailed explanation of the issues at its IT site, and the fun part for me is this is exactly the same story if you put in a different campus and the name iPhone that we had three years ago. Well, the Princeton <laughs> actually four years ago. The Princeton IT department explains this really nicely too. So Princeton students would all actually understand it. <laughs> uh, if you're trying to use an AT&T BlackBerry to connect your BlackBerry Playbook, you can't do that officially. CrackBerry thinks AT&T is not too keen on just giving out free tethering, but AT&T has an official response. They are saying, quote, we have just received the app for testing, and before it's made available to AT&T customers, we want to ensure it delivers a quality experience for our customers. That's the end quote. <coughs> uh, by the way, there is a workaround right now for those of you who, doesn't, who don't care about what AT&T thinks. Yeah, you can sideload the app. You just can't get it direct. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that um, AT&T really does want to ensure that it delivers a quality experience of charging you for tethering. <laughs> it's quality for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's quality uh, assurance to their bottom line. Yes, exactly. 
Finally, our kicker today comes from Panasonic, and we know that this is probably just a desperate plea for our attention uh, to get us to look at the Panasonic Toughbook. But they changed it. They chained it to a snowmobile and then dragged it through the snow to just show how tough it is. And frankly, I know it was a desperate plea, but it's freaking cool. It is I'm pretty sorry. cool to watch this, a snowmobile drag it. Laptop. It's bouncing everywhere. It's in the snow. The snowmobile is jumping into the air. You know, the tough book is just getting worked. Yeah, but I really wanted to see, like, when he goes around a corner for it to, like, slam into a tree. Just once. I did, too. Just I once. Did too. I thought I it was too. cheating to have it closed. They should have had a, they should have the laptop open like running a movie. Well, if you're gonna keep if you're gonna keep upping the ante, there should be a person trying to work on it. <laughs> exactly. While this Drag is happening, just like ah, I'm sending an email. So yeah, for the audio listeners, get the video of today's episode to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have to say, one of my favorite consumer moments was getting to run the tough book over with an SUV. So you know, there is there's just joy was in abusing open? gadgets. No, closed. Yeah, closed, there's so. definitely catharsis involved. Yeah. Let's move on to the calendar. Okay, I got this. iPhone dev team released untethered jailbreak today for iOS 4.3.2. That means you don't have to plug it in to do it. Windows Phone 7 Nodo is out for AT&T phones because they were testing it. The focus on quantum, get it today. Intel earnings. We got lots of earnings reports. Intel, second great quarter. Intel reported net income of $3.16 billion, or $0.56 cents a share, up from $2.44 billion, or $0.43 cents a share in the earlier period. Revenue jumped 25% to $12.85 billion, all beating analyst expectations. Good for them. I like you beating Analysts. Yahoo, not so good. Earnings report, net income slid 6% compared to last year. Search revenue dropped 19%. Display ad business jumped 10%. Yeah, so good news there. Good for that. That used to be their big thing. Oh, yeah, they don't really do much of anything. IBM earnings report today, good news. Uh, net income rose 10%. As expected. And we're done with the whole earnings thing. The president and Zuckerberg are going to sit down in a ta town hall meeting tomorrow, April 20th. Also tomorrow, if you're feeling up for T-Mobile stuff. There's the Sidekick, the G2X, and the G-Slate. They're all going to be in stores tomorrow. New Sidekick, and it got good reviews. I'm kind of curious about this thing. Bringing it back. On Thursday, if you want to spend $30 for a movie, you can do that with DirecTV <laughs> for their Dumbass. premium VOD if you feel like it. Uh, also, on May 1st in Australia, Galaxy Tab 10.1V is going to be up for pre-order on Vodafone. And... Get this on your calendars right now. You've got a, up until May 23rd to put together a better copyright school video than YouTube did. The folks at publicknowledge.org are running a contest where you can win $1,000 if you win. So if you, agree, if you agree with me that there should have been a uh, slower and better treatment of fair use in that video, here's your chance to correct that oversight, publicknowledge.org. There you go, Tom. You can do it. Maybe use the original copyright school. They as your infringing video in your video. They mentioned, well, they said, feel free to remix. Yes. <laughs> the YouTube. Feel the remix. Yeah. Totally. I like it. All right, finishing up with an email from Mike S., who says, regarding episode 223 about the ESRB survey for app developers, as a father of two boys, an avid gamer myself, I would love for the ESRB to rate apps and direct download games to help me better make choices about what I allow my kids to play. What I would like to see is that survey published so I can better decide what is appropriate for my kids. Of course, survey responses don't always tell the whole story. For instance, a game themed around kidnapping with protagonists prone to violent rage that rewards players for destroying property and killing animals might be a bit much for T rating, but my six-year-old sure loves Angry Birds. 
this is the this is the parental dilemma is you know what how much screen time to let your kids have what to let them play and how involved you have to be with it and it's just moved from the big screen to the computer to the ipad and the phone i mean it's a major dilemma and I think this, uh, this, if you've looked at this survey, it's very detailed. So if they did publish the results and you had time to go through them, you would get a really good idea of whether Angry Birds just sounds violent or really is violent. It sounds like they're very good at narrowing out those innuendos and you would see like, oh, this is, this is cartoonish violence. You know, it's, 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 there's no blood and guts. Uh, this is safe for my kids versus, you know, something that might sound the same but actually does have some pretty graphic material that you might want to yeah, avoid. Theoretically, you shouldn't need to see the survey if the ratings is, are doing their job. Yeah, right. But I, I understand what Mike's saying. Oh, He's yeah. like, hey, I'd like the opportunity to dig in a little further if I'm like, okay, that got a T rating. Let me find out why, you know? Mm -hmm. it, openness is always a good thing. Becky, great to have you back on the show today. It was fantastic to be here. I just um, am thrilled to miss you guys, and I'm glad I get to be with you every once in a while. We miss you desperately. We love it every time you come back. Come back soon. I yes, shall. do that. You can find us on the web, twit.tv slash TNT. That's where we collect all of the links to like the wiki that has all our show notes and all our information like our phone number which is 260-TNT-SHOW or email address which is TNT at twit.tv We will be back tomorrow with more of today's tech news except tomorrow it'll be tomorrow's tech news but it'll be called today's tech news because by then it'll be today Stop confusing me tomorrow. and everyone Step else away from the microphone okay. Go away